Coming up on the Mark Divine Show. We know this is true, that for a child to be successful, that child needs to be growing every year. It needs to be learning, reaching beyond what they could do last year. It's just as true for us as grownups. But we have this idea that we've arrived someplace, or we have this idea that our business card defines or describes us in some way. When groups begin to take collective responsibility for the development of the group, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. Hi, I'm Mark Devine, and this is The Mark Devine Show. On this show, I explore what it means to be fearless through the lens of the world's most inspirational, compassionate, and resilient leaders. Guests include folks from all walks of life, including motivational scientists, nutritional experts, peace crusaders, and leadership experts and coaches to CEOs. Today, we're going to be talking to one such guest, Dr. Jennifer Garvey-Berger, who helps CEOs unleash the complexity genius of their teams and their organization. She's the co-founder and CEO of Cultivating Leadership, where they blend deep theoretical knowledge with a driving quest for practical ways to make leaders' lives better. She coaches CEOs and their executive teams and designs and teaches high-end leadership programs and has written three highly acclaimed books on leadership and complexity, which help us navigate this VUCA world that we live in. Jennifer's newly released book, Unleash Your Complexity Genius, Growing Your Inner Capacity to Lead, is out now. And she lives in the French countryside where she bought a house with 11 friends and they live in community and they have 21 bedrooms. Incredible. Jennifer, super stoked to have you on the Mark Divine Show. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk to you and, and jumping through hoops trying to get our tech to work. It was fun to learn about your new living arrangements. Tell us about that. I, I'm really excited about that. My wife and I have been toying with the idea of buying a house, and Jeff and I have talked about it too, about buying a house over in Italy, you know, and fixing it up and something like that. But you've taken it to a whole nother level. It was during COVID and we all, um, you know, I was sitting around with friends as you do. As you had to do during COVID, stuck inside. Stuck inside. And I had a friend come and stay with us for like a month because, you know, you couldn't move around very much. So she right. came, she stayed. And we were talking about, you know, what, what would our dream living situation be? And, you know, there was a bottle of red wine involved and some cheese probably. And so we got around to thinking that our dream living situation would be to buy a, like a big place in the countryside in France and live there together with our favorite people. And so we were like, that sounds like a fun dream. That'll probably power us through the rest of COVID, right? Just to have this dream would be great. But we got a couple of people involved who don't just believe in having dreams. They believe in realizing them. Mm -hmm. And so before we knew it, we had a little band of folks who were interested. I am the chief executive of my company. And I knew it would be create kind of weird dynamics if I invited some people and not others. So mm -hmm. I invited everybody, anybody who wanted to come live with us could come live with us. And we got 10, now 12 people who said yes. And uh, here we are a year so, later. Uh, where did the, the actual finding of this 21 bedroom, you know, family resort enter into that whole equation? Did you find a broker? Did, some, did you just stumble it on with an internet search? We just spent so much time on the internet looking at French castles. And this <laughs> is so much fun. That is fun. Text each other, you know, images of castles and to imagine living in this one or that one. The one that we ended up in is not a castle, but it was a resort. 
it's just been kind of dreamy. Are there a lot of these places like on the market? Like, could I go buy a French castle tomorrow if I had the money? You could buy a French castle tomorrow and you would need very little money. Is it like a formal relationship where you have like, like an operating agreement and rules and expectations and, you know, you're shopping on Wednesdays and, you know, I do the gardening on Tuesdays kind of thing or what? How's this working? Yeah. So we believe in complexity and about uh, leading our way through complexity, right? right? So we are founded on complexity principles. And so we figure things out. We notice what patterns are emerging and then we amplify the ones we like and we try to kill off the ones we don't like. Mm-hmm. And so that means we didn't make agreements beforehand. Mm-hmm. We moved in, we saw how we were living. We said, oh, these things are working really well. Let's do more of that. Let's see how we can ritualize that. Oh, these things we don't like that much. Let's see how we can figure out how to let go of some of those. Bit by bit, we found our way. And do you think this is going to be a long-term thing or is it just a fun, well, we did that for a couple of years, check the box and everyone go back to your own, your own ways. No, we talk about growing old here. My son, I have a 21-year-old son. He was talking about you know, in my generation and his generation, what's going to happen with this place and how is that generation going to deal with sharing and... Yeah, that's a whole nother level of complexity, right? Holy this God. This is a whole nother level of complexity. <laughs> this is so cool. I'm so stoked to have uh, met you and just learned about that because it really just opens up my mind about, you know, possibilities and it's a really interesting world and things are changing so fast. And that's why it's so interesting to be talking about complexity today. It just seems like it's so much more complex. And that might be an appearance, right? But it just seems like because of the explosion of technology and changing demographics and geopolitics and the world between you and me and, and listeners, it's going to look, look really different in 20 or 30 years than it does right now. People have no idea what's coming, right? No idea. And we can't begin to predict, right? Yeah, and any right. predictions would be ludicrous. Would be it ludicrous. would be laughable for us. The only prediction that would work would be that things will be really different and you'll probably be pretty accurate there. <laughs> That's exactly right. So before I want to, obviously, you know, the focus of our conversation today is complexity and your new book, Unleash Your Complexity Genius. But I want to learn a little bit more about Dr. Jennifer, like how did you get interested in this? What were some of your early formative experiences that shaped you as a person and then as a professional, you know, to get, you know, your your academic work and et cetera? So I've always loved stories. I love humans. I love their stories. I was an English teacher for a while. Then I went back to school to to get my doctorate in adult development, which is our story. That's in the field of psychology, right? That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And for me, the question that became really interesting is how do we grow better able to meet the demands of our world, mm-hmm. which is complexity, right. basically. And adult development really is growing through stages of complexity, transcending, including. And I'm very familiar with the work of uh, adult development psychologists like Susan Crook-Reuter and Jane Lovinger and Claire DeGraves and Ken Wilber. And those have been had a big influence on my life. The interesting thing is around this idea of complexity that I I want to hear how you applied it to your life is how do you find simplicity inside the complexity? Because you just described one way you do it with your living arrangement, but I think that's a really cool place to start. The question about complexity is how do we work with it and not against it, right? Which is basically your question there. If you're trying to figure out how do I build something that keeps the waves from making me wet, like you have to deal with storms and weather and you have to think about every possible thing if you live at the seaside. If you think to yourself, how do I work with the waves? 
and do something cool with, with what's here. It's a totally different task and in many ways, much simpler. So this has been my fundamental question is how do we recognize complexity and then work with it, harness it in some ways to create the lives we want to lead. Did you ever work as a psychologist or did you, you know, parlay your PhD into this leadership development work right away? I started as a professor and then began to work more and more in the leadership field and then found myself being incredibly curious about how it is leaders who are now faced with jobs that are basically inconceivably complex, right? You can't even get your head around them. How do they get big enough to not only handle those jobs, but to do what I think organizations need to do, which is work together to change the world? I love how you frame this because, you know, I've always thought one of my heroes, of course, Steve Jobs, like he, he's just one of those really, really interesting cats and who you know, really believed that simplicity was the key to genius, or it took genius to find simplicity and an unlocked genius. And so, so he was all against complexity. He thought that was the, like the death knell of a business. He's like, we're dealing with that actually in our own business. Too many, too many products, too many services, too many different types of customers. And yet finding your way through that, navigating that and finding the, the essence of what it is, both the why and the how and the what of what you're all about, that's genius, right? And then that gets to the simplicity, right? I'm curious, like, how did you make this leap from adult development to genius and complexity? I'm like, I'm, where, where did the puzzle pieces fit together for you that led to your current vein of work that you're exploring? Yeah. So I'd like to make a, a distinction that I'd have loved to talk to Steve Jobs about, sure. which is the distinction between things that are complicated. They have a ton of moving parts. There are mm -hmm. too many sectors. There are just a lot of pieces. And things that are complex, which are interdependent, have their own kind of energy, their own kind of emergent properties. I think that we often confuse those two things. Businesses are often too complicated, yeah. right? And we often are trying to think everything through and make a Gantt chart for this or that or the other thing. Like this is very common. But Steve Jobs was great at understanding the complexity, the interactivity of the world. So do you think they're, they're qualitatively different things or is complexity just more complicated than complicated? I think they're qualitatively different things. Okay. The complexity theorist, Dave Snowden, would say that complicated things are solvable. There's cause and effect relationships, right? Yeah. Cause and effect relationships and you can solve them. In complexity, you can't know. So they emerge. And yeah. so instead of being able to plan and control and contain which is what most leaders, most of us have been taught we ought to do. In complexity, we have to explore, right. connect, learn, experiment. Well, I think that the, during the you know, industrial age, all the way up really until the internet and maybe beyond, even into the first you know, decade of this century, we had the appearance that things had a linear cause and effect relationship. It's, it's not actually true, I, I don't believe, but it, it, it had the appearance because it seemed like things moved a little bit slower. So you had time to like, you know, get feedback loops and plan and, you know, do the kind of the OODA loop thing. And then things just started to speed up. So it seemed like, oh, wow, we've entered a different era. The reality is complexity and complicated coexisted all along, right? People just focused on, we had the time to do the planning and the iteration. Now they don't. So it takes a new type of thinking. Yeah, we had the, the tools and the capacities to tame a bunch of the things in our world to kind of keep them inside a particular box. And we could make that happen. And now we can't. 
Now, where do we start in trying to understand complexity? Like if someone's new to this, like a listener going, oh, this is really interesting, Jennifer, where do I, where do I, how do I start to cultivate the capacity to deal with the complexity in my business? I think the first thing we need to do is recognize what our body does when we're faced with complexity. Our body recognizes complexity and uncertainty and unpredictability as threat. Fight or flight, boom. It's scary. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. So it activates our nervous system. And just as it activates our nervous system, it has us want to command and control, to narrow our focus, to put our hands on things and force them to happen, to protect ourselves. All of these things are understandable, but not helpful in complexity. And so if we can understand the signals our body is giving us, then we can start to say, oh, wait, thank you but maybe I should do something else. I think like the body of an organization has that same reaction. For sure. So you can have organizations went into fight or flight, you know, and certainly during the pandemic. And <laughs> if you weren't able to get out of that quickly, then you, you didn't survive. Because you needed to innovate, right? Yeah. Protecting actually is not innovative at all, right? right. Protecting is very uninnovative. And in a really fast changing world, protection is not going to get you where you need to be. Okay, so that makes sense to me, and that's kind of in alignment with what I teach special operators. Like first, pause and breathe, right? And that resets your nervous system and also create a daily practice. We use box breathing to essentially train your body to be in a you know, de-aroused, rest and digest state, calm, from which you can make better decisions. So, so let's assume we've done that or we train someone to do that and you're working with a CEO. And now, now what's next? Like still, there's, there's just this insane cacophony of information and interrelatedness and it's you know the VUCA volatile uncertain complex and ambiguous world is right there in front of me but I'm calm so now what do I do (laughs) (laughs) this is a huge advance it's a big step forward but I'm still not sure what's next (laughs) it's huge I mean one of the things I think people need to recognize in that state is they can't go it alone it's impossible for one individual to figure things out yeah. You can't go it alone. You need to understand how do we as a collective function and how do we as a collective function better and better over time. So it means that it's not just your nervous system you have to calm. It's the nervous systems of those around you too, right? You've got to take care of your own body, but you've also got to be managing what's going on for others because you need them and they need you. And so then the next step, I think, is to create the conditions for those people to build incredibly strong bonds together to trust one another and then to be able to activate those things that make us awesome at complexity, which I call the geniuses, right? That help us handle complexity beautifully as humans have also handled complexity beautifully for thousands of years. You get the body of the organization calm and collected and then you work on teaming. The We call it the, the three foundations for a great team are courage, trust, and respect, which require a lot of emotional awareness and emotional development. And, you know, what Brene Brown would call vulnerability and really recognizing that oftentimes it's our own projections and judgments and perfectionism and righteousness that is what gets the energy of a team stuck. So clearing all that so the team has this team mind, collective mind that's free of the ego. So from then, now you've got 10, 20, 30, 50, hundreds of minds that can fuse together to create, you know, a genius level mind that can create, you know, come up with solutions that are far, far better than any individual. I love that you're 
emphasizing this way we're connected, which is incredibly important. And we also have to be diverse, right? We have to be different from each other and we have to allow for our differences and we have to actually amplify and use our different perspectives in order to see into corners that other people might not see into. If you take an incredibly diverse set of people, you get them to function as a really highly effective team, but they think that they can't use their diversity on that team. You've just lost a lot. So here we, we get them to make good use of their diversity. And I think the other thing we, I believe we have to do is we have to laugh. We have to have fun together. We have to figure out how to lighten, lighten our spirits because it's in that place of play that creativity really lives. Right. Creativity is a positive process. Right. That's right. It comes from a positive love frequency. It doesn't come from fear and contraction. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And teaming is that way as well, right? Teaming comes from this desire to be bigger together than, Mm. than any of us are by ourselves. Okay, we're going to take a short break here from the Mark Divine Show to hear a short message from one of our partners. And now back to the show. Okay, so we're calm, we're connected, we're inclusive, we're, we're diverse, we're amplifying our differences, de-energizing things that get us stuck, and we're, we're doing that with a lot of play and laughter. And then, now what? <laughs> What's next? This is so cool. I'm like, literally, it's all falling into place in my mind. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I love this roadmap you're drawing here. Yeah. But it, that's a lot of work, though, what you just described. Like, that's very, very uncommon, by the way. Right. Most people are thinking, I would love to have a team like that. Indeed. Which is why I think that a leader, a leader's job is really to amplify the conditions that make this more possible. Right. Because as you said earlier, humans get into groups, they have their perfectionism, they have their contractions, they have their egos, they have their stories, they have all these things that get in the way of what we are absolutely wired to do, which is connect with one another, play. Mm-hmm. create. A lot of leaders think my job is to solve problems and to enable other people to solve problems. It's not wrong, right? But it's small. My job is to create the condition where problems are solved. Mm-hmm. Right? Like so what is that? How do I create the condition? So the solution to problems just starts to pop like popcorn. Oh, well, I need to figure out what that takes. And this is what my focus should be on creating that, that surround so that solutions happen. So what are some of the best ways to create the conditions for where problems are spontaneously solved? So I think that there's a a lot for us to be thinking about as we think about welcoming humanity into our workplaces. Workplaces have basically, for the last 100 years or more, segmented, chopped, removed, kind of tried mm-hmm. to take as much as possible the human out of the workplace. Factory settings, human resources. That's exactly right. To emphasize the machine-like capabilities and to try to, to define your job really narrowly so that it doesn't touch the job of the person right next door, you know, so that, so that we can as much as possible control the hell out of everything we're doing. So creating the conditions is about releasing mm-hmm. that idea and to say, okay, so what are what are the conditions for human thriving? Mm-hmm. And how could I make that in my workplace? So how do we start with connection? Not connection as an afterthought, not connection as an icebreaker, 
but connection as the fundamental ground on which we exist. How do we then add purpose? The fundamental human need to do work that's meaningful, purposeful. Because then, now you have connection, you have purpose, you add in this idea of diversity and being able to really see across differences and use our differences. And suddenly you have popcorn, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly you have a place where solutions happen. Mm, I love that. You talk about operating at the intersection of inner and outer complexity. How do we find that intersection? And, and what are some tools that you work with your clients to unlock that capability or capacity? I think the, the thing right at the intersection is our body, right? <laughs> it's right here. Because there's the complexity of the world out there. Then there's our psychology. Mm-hmm. And then there's the body that mediates those things. Yes, I love right? And so... I think box breathing, for example, is a tool. I, I also use this to be able to be at that mediation space so that we will be able to handle the complexity of the world. Then you need tools to make sense of that because humans mm-hmm. don't automatically make sense of complexity. We're not good at that. We're, our brains don't work that way. So we need tools like polarity management or tools that help us listen in new ways to each other or tools that help us get a handle on what kind of problems this is and therefore what should be done with it. So there are a ton of tools that help us in the world out there. And then there are these tools that help us in the world in here with our development, as you were saying earlier, with our capacity to regulate our own nervous system and also with our capacity to regulate the stories we tell ourselves that are feeding our ego and that create defenses. The inner development we work a lot with. So I, I... That makes a lot of sense. And and then I think um, what is unique about your work and where we're starting to head is they become a team process, right? So the idea of the deliberately developmental organizations, like you go to work and it's not like uh, all your development is at home on the yoga mat or the meditation bench, you know, or the park bench breathing and taking in sunshine and listening to the birds, but you come in and together as a team, you do box breathing and as a team, you practice mindfulness and as a team, you work on your listening and, you know, uh, communication skills. And that's like amplifying what's working at the individual. You bring it in and you amplify that. And then it just really opens up kind of the team inner dynamics in a healthy way. And it helps us understand that for me to be doing my job tomorrow, I need to be growing today. And for us together to be successful in our enterprise mm-hmm. next year, We have to grow into next year. Mm -hmm. And we know that this is true of children. We know this is true, that for a child to be successful, that child needs to be growing every year. It needs to be learning, reaching beyond what they could do last year. It's just as true for us as grownups. But we have this idea that we've arrived someplace, or we have this idea that our business card defines or describes us in some way. When groups begin to take collective responsibility for the development of the group, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. You're right. I mean, statistics on adult development aren't pretty, or they haven't been pretty in the past. Like most adults pretty much just stop. They slide into what Carol Dweck would call that fixed mindset. And I think I remember reading somewhere that like only 5% of the world has is, is got a growth mindset or something like that. That just sounds extraordinary like a low percentage. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Because I know it's becoming more and more prevalent to kind of unlock growth and to adult development has started to really grow 
exponentially in the last few years. So it's probably not 5% anymore. Much to my surprise um, and delight, I have to say. This question about how do we create the conditions to help people grow on purpose has been the question that I've been caring for basically my whole career. And how do we specifically do that at work? How do we help each other create the conditions which require failure, stumbling, humanity, grumpiness, Mm -hmm. right? Like annoyance, Mm -hmm. bad feedback, you know, all these parts of being a human that we don't like as much. And so we try to wash them off or not show them at work. Mm -hmm. It's required for us to grow. And we Mm -hmm. need to believe that the whole thing is allowed. Yeah. And that the emotional development there is just to get over this idea that there is some sort of perfect way to be. Because perfectionism for leaders, especially male leaders who think, okay, and like you said, if you get the title, boom, you think, well, I must have been perfect in order to be CEO. So I've got to protect protect that image. And that's disastrous because there is no such thing as perfect. And failure is not such a, you know, we said in the SEAL teams, their failure is not an option. It wasn't because we couldn't fail. It's because the ideal of failure was anathema to us because we knew that we were going to fail practically at everything we tried. And so we embraced it for the learning that it would bring to us. That's what that saying meant. This idea of failure means there's one one objective and we either make it or we don't. The one thing we're sure of is we're going to die, right? Like this is the one thing that's super clear to all of us. This is not the thing we're barreling towards and trying to succeed at is that everything else is uncertain, everything else. And so how do we live our lives in a way that takes advantage of that uncertainty instead of pretending it doesn't exist or wishing it away or feeling stressed out by it? I want to uh, get into just two specific things. You mentioned um, managing polarities as like an external, a tool for, for helping with the external complexity environment. I'd like to talk about that. And then I would like to talk about the tool that you've had the most success with perhaps in helping to navigate the internal complexity? So one of the tools my clients like the best is a tool developed by a man called Barry Johnson on this managing polarities question. And basically, Barry has created this unbelievable simple tool for us to deal with things that feel irreconcilable, the contradictions in our life that feel like so opposing, and we we really struggle with them. Like... If you have a big organization, do you standardize or do you customize? Your question right now that you might be facing in your organization is, do you diversify or do you simplify? These are tensions that live in opposition to each other. When we're in one of these questions, do we do this thing or do we do its opposite? Then the answer is almost always yes. You do both of those things. (laughs) And so then the question is, how do you navigate that? And Barry's created a tool that lets you map. These are the benefits. And these are the things that happen when you overemphasize one of these things at the expense of the other. And then from there, you can begin to take groups through kind of understanding the map of the complexity of the world they live in, and then making specific choices. Mm -hmm. So basically, all of my favorite complexity tools are mapping tools of one kind or another. Because maps help us simplify, help us handle, put our arms around the complexity so it's not like just wandering around in this Mm -hmm. aimless way. But they focus the mind, they focus the attention on particular aspects of complexity Mm -hmm. so that we can then move forward. And 
polarity management is one of the best of all of these tools, I think. That's so cool. I want to investigate that. And I agree with you, maps, you have to know the terrain. So you have to be able to put the, you know, the elements, in this case, complexity or the polarities onto the maps. You can understand the terrain and then you can map your way through it and navigate it more effectively. It's similar in, in therapy of just objectifying the underlying issues so you can, so you can work with them. But if you can't objectify them and name them, how do you work with them? That's exactly right. You got to put them out on the table so you can walk around it, look at it from different aspects, and then make choices. Okay. So what about um, inner complexity? What's a tool that is really effective there? So I got to say, it's a map. You talked about Suzanne Cook-Greuter's work. Yes. I love Suzanne. I studied with Bob Keegan. Mm-hmm. So the, the map I use most often is Bob Keegan's map. Mm-hmm. But this idea that there's a map with recognizable places and that we can make sense of our lives, we can say, oh, that's what was going on to me right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a time when I was so made up by other people mm-hmm. that I couldn't decide for myself. That makes sense to me now. Mm-hmm. And I could grow from that place into a place where I could make those choices on my own. You know, there are mm-hmm. just some gentle definitions in this map. And I have seen this map change the lives, oh, cheapers, of thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that I've worked with, just knowing, oh, there is something I could grow into. It's different from now. Mm -hmm. And some of the pain that I'm feeling is actually not the pain or the discomfort that kind of is just like a blister in my shoe, Mm -hmm. but it's actually the pain of birth, right? Like it's the pain of gestation. It's the pain of bringing into the world the next iteration of me. And that next iteration is going to be bigger, more complex, more capable than who I've been up until now. I love that. I totally know what you're talking about. I've done, you know, the Crook Reuter leadership maturity assessment and the ability to see, well, here I am at self-actualization and, and yet my leading edge is in heading into unitive or, you know, whatever for whoever is taking. But also the awareness that working on the leading edge isn't going to get you there. Often it's working on the trailing edge and overcoming the blockages and the shadows that are that are like like a rubber band holding you back. Like you can't spring forward until you get rid of those things that are blocking the energy. What's the assessment that Robert Keegan uses or that you use for this? I use a thing called the growth edge interview. It's an interview to figure out what, what these uh, blind spots are, right? right? What are these things I can't see about how I make sense of the world? Do you work with individual leaders or companies or groups, teams? And how do you actually do the work? Do all those things. I coach individual leaders. We work with teams, leadership teams. We work with whole organizations and design leadership programs to help organizations have more of a a mindset that helps Mm -hmm. them grow the whole Mm -hmm. the whole enterprise. That's awesome. All that stuff. It's it's fantastic work. I really I'm really stoked um, to have learned more about it today. Your company is called Cultivating Leadership. Is that the website like cultivatingleadership.com or what's the website? That's it. And your book, Unleash Your Complexity Genius, Growing Your Inner Capacity to Lead, is out recently published, right? Just this month it came this out, month. yes. Where else can people, or where would you prefer people to hook up with you? Website, social media? Come to the website. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. I live in all these places. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time today. It's been very enlightening and it's going to help a lot of people find their genius in this complex time that we live in. So it's important work. Lovely spending time with you, Mark. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Hoo-yah. What a fantastic interview and very interesting person Dr. Jennifer Garvey-Berger is. 
Uh, we love talking about complexity and unleashing the complexity genius, the principles in her newly released book, and love talking about her French chateau, 21 bedrooms. I want to go over there and meet her and hang out. Fascinating, fascinating. Great, great conversation. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Show notes and transcripts are up at markdevine.com. And as usual, a video is up at YouTube, at our YouTube channel, markdevine.com slash YouTube. You can find me at Mark Divine on Twitter and at RealMarkDivine on IG and Facebook and as well on my LinkedIn channel or page. Quick plug for Divine Inspiration, our new newsletter, which comes out every Tuesday, which has a synopsis of the podcast, my blog, and other interesting things that come across my desk that I think you would find value. So go to markdivine.com to sign up if you haven't subscribed. Special shout out to my amazing team, Jeff Haskell and Jason Sanderson, who help me produce this podcast every week and bring guests like Jennifer to you. Reviews and ratings are extremely helpful. So if you haven't done so, consider doing that. I'd very much appreciate it. Goal is to get 5,000 five-star ratings, at least at Apple. And uh, it helps other people find the show and gives us the credibility to keep doing what we do. Thanks so much for being part of this show and for sharing it with your friends and family and uh, recognizing that we can navigate this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world that we live. We can unlock our creativity, genius, uh, but we've got to do the work. We've got to do the work to unlock our own growth, to be great leaders and teammates, and to be the change we want to see in the world at scale. So keep it up. Hoo-yah. See you next week. Divine out.